When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs is sponsored by AAA Heating and Air. Their premier HVAC company in the Midlands is growing. Are you a top HVAC technician? AAA Heating and Air is looking for dedicated applicants to fill their fast-growing service department with top-notch HVAC technicians. If you're the best, then they want you. If you're ready to stop working and start a career, you can earn up to $100,000 plus a year at AAA Heating and Air. Quality candidates will have at least two years' experience and a good driving record. Benefits include top industry salaries, commission on service and unit sales, set call limits, company-provided take-home vehicle and gas card, company-provided cell phone and tablet, health, dental, and vision benefits, 401k retirement plan with company match and scaled PTO based on length of service. Contact Roy and Dana Finley at 803-677-1500 or check out their job postings on Facebook or ZipRecruiter. Triple A air when you need us. Triple A heating and air. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen with Chris Clark. The 2007 South Carolina class was, at that time, sixth in the country and fourth in the SEC, which is amazing. West Mitchell. You know, I think if you're South Carolina, you're you're aiming to, to at least be at 50%. Then in theory, you're adding talent, you're getting better, you're putting yourself in a position to compete. And Tyler Head. It's been a great week for South Carolina. On the recruiting front, still certainly plenty to talk about. On the home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game. And welcome into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on 107.5 The Game. Tyler Head here in the Herndon Chevrolet Studios. Chris Clark along with me, but he is on location out at one of the Shane Beamer football camps, the first one of the summer on today, Friday, June the 2nd. And uh, looking at the schedule here, quite a few of these going to be taking place over the month of June as the summer rolls along. And uh, today's mini camp kicking things off, Chris. Yeah, I feel like uh, an investigative reporter, Tyler, like I'm doing something very important today. On location, day one, Shane Beamer football camp. Uh, not maybe not the most creative name, right? But very effective. It works. And so, uh, yeah. So, so June, man. I mean, as a starting point, it's an incredibly busy month on, in the recruiting world, um, and it's really busy for everybody in this building at South Carolina, right? There was kind of a little bit of downtime in the spring for some of the staffers in the building. The of course, assistant coaches, not Coach Shane Beamer. He was out busy doing a lot of other things. But, you know, after spring ball wrapped, assistant coaches were out on the road for parts of, you know, about a month and a half. And so once that wraps up, now it's June. And with that opens up kind of a world of possibilities on the recruiting front. So uh, you've got a lot of things going on concurrently in the Gamecock football program. So first of all, you've got, you know, more freshman reporting. And you've got the startup of summer workouts this week. So players who are already on the team, you know, got a bit of a break 
and now they're back and they're working out with Coach Luke Day again in the weight room, running, conditioning, lifting, all that good stuff. And then on the recruiting front, you know, in terms of prospect recruiting, you've got camps, you've got unofficial visits, you've got official visits, and every single one of those uh, three different things from a recruiting front are all going on um, at, at the same time this weekend. They've got a, a pretty nice slate of official visitors coming in from a lot of different positions, a lot of different places. They got some key unofficial visitors. One of them is Keelan Adams, the four-star wideout out of Virginia. He's an unofficial visitor. Also got some official visitors we can get into later in the program, Tyler, if you want. But then camps today. And so, um, you know, this might not be the most star-studded camp session, um, but there are going to be some intriguing guys. Um, you know, just to name a couple, uh, Will Wilson, who's the quarterback at Richland Northeast High School in the 2025 class, recent South Carolina offer, um, one of a few different offers they put out in that 25 class. He's going to be throwing today. Uh, and Martin, who's a 2025 running back out of Greer, he'll be one of a few, from my understanding, in-state running backs that are on campus today that, yeah, may have a chance to earn an offer uh, with a good performance today. And uh, there'll be some others in town for sure, but um, a couple guys there. We'll really see guys from every single position working out today with the type of camp that this is. So there are several different types of camps. You know, I were talking about this before we went on the air. You know, have seven-on-sevens that are coming up a little bit later on in the summer. What is specific about this camp and what kind of goes on over the course of the day? Yeah, so uh, today's camp, they, they changed it a little bit from last year. The registration started a little bit later. So about 1030, you can see the campers, uh, you know, leading up to that 930, 10, uh, you know, kind of hanging out, waiting on the registration to start, which begins at 1030. You got some guys that are pre-registered. You got a lot of guys who've registered in advance. Um, and then you got some walk-ups too. And, and they basically register, they go through, get a camp t-shirt, everybody. It, it really, the beginning, Tyler, is kind of like, a combine type of setting. Um, the, the first half of the camp before the lunch break is guys getting measured. So they're going to do hand size, wingspan, height, weight, all that stuff. Then they're going to put them through the paces of a 40 yard dash, a broad jump, a vertical three cone drill. Um, and then, you know, put them through kind of a, uh, a county fair type of circuit where they're going to go through and do a bunch of different things after their, after their dynamic warm up and, from there, you know, after the lunch break, generally what you get is some individual positional drills and instruction from South Carolina's coaching staff. And then to end the day, a lot of times you see one-on-one. So you'll see uh, wide receivers versus DBs, tight ends and running backs versus linebackers, um, and, you know, offensive linemen versus defensive linemen and one-on-ones. And that's what kind of culminates the day, scheduled to wrap up about 3.30. And to your point, they, they do have some different, other types of camps throughout the summer, not today, but they do have lineman-specific camps. Uh, some of these sometimes run concurrently. So you'll see, for instance, an O-line, D-line camp, you know, that's specific for linemen. Um, and then you're also going to see a specialist camp. That's just one day Pete Limbo puts that on. So kickers, punters, snappers, he'll put those guys through the paces. And then also another pretty cool one, the team passing camp. So a lot of teams kind of converge on Columbia and then you'll see, you know, a seven-on-seven tournament from those programs. So being the recruiting insider that you are, when you go to a camp like this or a seven-on-seven, what specific things are you looking for, and what does your day kind of look like in in trying to cover all this? Yeah, it's kind of wild. Uh, You know, when we – 
a lot of times um, we, we found out some of the guys that are going to be in town, um, and, and we've already kind of got, okay, we, we need to really put eyes on this guy because he's somebody that has an offer or somebody that's got a chance to get an offer. You know, for instance, today, certainly going to go over and take a look at Will Wilson, the 2025 in-state quarterback from Richland Northeast. Haven't seen him throw in person yet. Has a Gamecock offer. He's an in-state guy. His father, Walt Wilson, was Alshon Jeffrey's high school coach at Calhoun County. And obviously Shane Beamer recruited Alshon Jeffrey uh, as an assistant at South Carolina. So just kind of a lot of interesting storylines. And then you want to go see him. You know, also want to put eyes today on LaDainian Martin, the, the Greer running back, because he's a guy that has some power five offers and presumably with a good performance as a guy that might have a chance to earn one from South Carolina too. So there are a lot of guys in that camp. A lot of it, Tyler, to be honest, is trying to match who's who, right? Because, um, you know, fortunately in this day and age in media, there are oftentimes a lot of pictures of guys online. There are resources, there's Huddle, there's YouTube, there's the different recruiting services like Home 3, Gamecock Central is a part of. And so, you know, just trying to find out, okay, who's who? Who's the guy we need to know? Who are the uh, who are the coaches paying attention to? You know, one of the first things that happened today, walked in, saw a high school coach shuttling Monterio Hardesty over to meet one of his players. Mm-hmm. We were then able to kind of quickly find out, okay, who is this guy? Let's jot him down. Let's make a note to go watch him later. So uh, just kind of trying to figure out who's who, who's someone to watch observing and then of course we want to as the day progresses go out and kind of put eyes on guys and see you know who are we impressed with who who is the coaching staff impressed with and just kind of going into information gathering mode and and i I don't know if you have a specific number figure of how many guys are out there today but i imagine there are a lot of people from around the state that aren't getting looked at by some of these major schools that see this as an opportunity to finally get in front of power five coaches and impress them. And I know that's got to be, you know, uh, bumping those numbers up even more with some of those kind of guys out there. Yeah. You always have a mix, right? Just about every camp, there's going to be a handful, sometimes much more than a handful. You know, there've been camps over the years, whether it's Shane Beamer's camps or in the past where, you know, you kind of go over the list for the day and shoot, there's, you know, 15 or 20 guys that either had offers when they came in or, or left that day with offers, you know, and it's kind of a, a packed day in terms of the, the amount of talent. There's other days that um, it's a little lighter, you know, not, not so many guys. So today in a relative standpoint on day one, maybe a little bit lighter, both in number of prospects and number of overall prospects. Sometimes you come in here Tyler, and you go, Oh my gosh, how many, you know, and you'll, talk to somebody around the program they're like you know we got 400 kids registered today Uh, sometimes you get entire high school teams you know that come as a team to do the camp not even the seven on seven just the camp we don't think we have that today but yeah you you typically get a mix of guys that have offers walking in guys that um have a chance to earn an offer and then there there are a lot of guys that kind of camp for the experience right they want to go and um, take away something that they can learn It's, it's cool even if you're a guy that doesn't have a chance to play power five ball or even college ball for that matter go get in front of these coaches get some instruction have a cool experience shake Shane Beamer's hand take a picture with him and all that kind of stuff they also have youth camps uh Tyler for a few days this month two four I believe that's rising third through eighth graders so 
it's always a fun time to go out there and, and watch the kids perform too. Uh, as you mentioned, this is also a big weekend for some official visits and uh, quite a list of guys that are going to be in town for yeah. this weekend. A couple notable four stars, guys like Braylon Russell and Parker Livingstone. What's kind of what's kind of to be expected from this weekend from the official stand, uh, visit standpoint? Yeah, just kind of um, the the schedule of events that we've learned. Tyler, you, you'll see these guys get in. What is it? About six guys, I think, six or seven total. Uh, I, I believe. Like that. I believe so. Yeah, and they'll get in this afternoon. Everybody will have arrived. What you what you normally see and what you'll see this weekend is just meetings, dinner. Saturday night, you see a nice dinner. Normally, there's an activity like bowling or something like that. Um, going out with their player hosts. You know, typically the coaching staff is going to match up a player with someone who's, you know, of like personality or sure. from a similar background or a similar place or even the same position, you know, just so they can kind of hang out with them and, and feel what it's like to be a game touch student athlete at that spot. So that's what you'll see this weekend. You know, there's, there's a really interesting list this weekend. Shane Beamer decided to spread out um, the official visits throughout the month of June. Instead of having two big weekends, they decided to just have really just three and kind of spread it out a little bit more. So the the big weekend in terms of volume is going to be at the end of the month. That's when you'll see most of the commitments in. Um, and then you'll see, you know, Dylan Stewart, for example, and some other ones. But this is a still a very, very important weekend. One guy, I, I'm really interested, honestly, in all these guys. Um, you know, Jalewis Solomon, the DB, Kai Sanders. I mean, Denaz White, the defensive tackle. There's a bunch of them. Um, I'm really, really interested to see can they make a move with Braylon Russell because um, South Carolina needs really two really good backs in this class. They've been in pretty good position with Daniel Hill from Mississippi. Uh, they'll get their shot at him later this month again on an official. But Russell's a guy from Arkansas, one-time Arkansas commitment. He knows Dowell Loggins. Tennessee's actually been in a really good spot. But this will be his first time in Columbia, if I'm not mistaken, and can they make an impression there? They'll certainly have a good story to sell them in terms of depth chart, but um, that's the one that's probably the most intriguing to me. And one part of that being we, we just don't really know, other than South Carolina being in the lead group and getting an official, we don't know how much room for upward mobility there is. All right, it is the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler Head in the Herndon Chevrolet Studio, Chris Clark, reporting from day one of Shane Beamer Football Camp for the month of June. Up next, we'll get uh, Chris's thoughts on some of the new rules for the SEC starting in 2024 on 107.5 The Game. It's the Cape Cod Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen. With Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on 107.5 Game. Tyler Head in the Herndon Chevrolet Studios. Chris Clark joining us on location from day one of Shane Beamer's football camps for the summer. And uh, speaking of Firehouse Subs, after a long, hot day out there at the camps, I know Chris is going to want to go get that sub of the day over at Firehouse. Oh, absolutely. You know, actually, Tyler, I would like it right now. I, w- I would take it right now, but certainly after uh, working for a while here, it will be even more of a craving. There's a craveable firehouse sub sub of the day every single day, actually. And today, with it being Friday, with it being the weekend, go get yourself the Jamaican jerk turkey. Maybe saying, oh, what is that? It sounds intriguing. It sounds good. 
it is. Go check it out. You may not have had that at Firehouse Subs. It's not maybe one of their staples, maybe not one of the ones that they're known for the most, but it's really, really good. Something a little bit different here on this Friday. Seven ninety nine for a medium, five ninety nine for a small, and there's it's so easy to get one. There's fourteen Firehouse Subs locations here in the Midlands, all across. There's one near you. You can go to firehousesubs.com, find the closest Firehouse Subs near you, use the Rapid Rescue to order the sub of the day, or you can download the Firehouse Subs app. Start earning some rewards towards your purchases. Well, Chris, we finally got the news we've been waiting for. Yesterday, Commissioner Greg Sankey officially announced in 2024 the SEC was going to be sticking with the eight-game conference model when Texas and Oklahoma joined the conference and bumping it up to 16 teams. This is kind of what we expected based on the conversations and the speculations that have been going on in recent weeks. Now, they did leave the door open for a change in 2025, and as UI and uh, Wes have talked about, really this all kind of boils down to ESPN not willing to fork over the dough just yet. But I imagine by 2025, they'll probably be ready to do that, and we should see nine games then. There's so many interesting kind of subplots and layers to this, Tyler. And, um, you know, I, I probably like you, I've, I've formulated some opinions on it, right? But I lean heavily on Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated, who has been reporting on, on this subject for a long time. And he just does a phenomenal job in the SEC of covering things like this. And I thought it was interesting that Greg Sankey, the league's commissioner, uh, you know, did not publicly take or state a position mm-hmm. on what he wanted. But we all thought, I know we talked about this last week, we, we all thought that Sankey, just from the looks of it, the sound of it, the feel of it, seemed to want a nine-game schedule right? more immediately, right? And that did not happen. And Dellinger uh, reported kind of after the fact, after the eight-game schedule came out, that Sankey had apparently, you know, he, he let the, the league's presidents, and ADs decide this was their decision. Ended up being a unanimous vote, even though, um, you know, five schools, I think it was, Tyler, right. you know, expressed interest in the nine games immediately. Um, I found that kind of interesting because, you know, if you're thinking about it from a bargaining chip standpoint, that's what a lot of this is about. You know, maybe litigating it through the media. Obviously, uh, the league and you would think that the league's presidents all want enhanced revenue for going to nine games. And so, one part of this is I do feel like putting this eight game kind of band aid on it lets you, you know, maybe figure out your nine game model a little bit more. And then it maybe does, in theory, unless this theory backfires, maybe it gives you a little bit longer runway to say, okay, ESPN, you know, we, we need some more revenue if we're going to do this. Because that, I think, is one of the reasons that you would do this. There are some others, right? preserving your secondary rivalries, which apparently they're going to do next year. Yep. But it's maybe more tenable doing it in a nine-game schedule overall. Yeah, the idea would be, you know, when you think about the secondary rivalries of the SEC, like the Auburns, Georgia, and stuff like that, would still be on the schedule for next year, assuming you go to the nine-game model in 25, where you have the three and six, and be able to preserve those on a year-in, year-out basis. One thing I thought about, you know, with going to this eight-game schedule and also announcing what we all knew was going to be the case of abandoning abandoning divisions, so this will be the last year of the SEC East and the SEC West, where you have single standings, you just take the top two teams based on win percentage within the conference, only having eight games also you open, opens up to the possibility of having some potentially issues with determining who those teams are 
going to the SEC championship game where not everybody's going to play everybody. And while I don't think three teams are going to be undefeated in the conference, you could very well have one team go undefeated and three teams sitting at eight and one, and suddenly they've not played each other, and you're having to decide who's going to go to Atlanta to represent. Yeah, that that is a very interesting point. Um, you know, I, I don't. I actually think that for this year, th- that is a more important part of divisions going away rather than the other part of okay. Well, I, you know, if you're somebody who says, "Well, I like having a, t- a team from the East and a team from the West," right? No matter the record, you know, you look at it now. You know, Georgia is your front runner, probably by a good margin, mm-hmm. right, to make it. You know, maybe you have a sleeper pick. Maybe you say, oh, no, it's Tennessee. Or maybe, you you know, for some reason think Florida. Or you, you think Kentucky, even South Carolina, somebody else. Sure. But, you know, Georgia's your, your front runner, right? And then from there, it's probably, okay, who's second? And you probably are looking westward, you know, or the former west, rather. Yes. <laughs> uh, for for the purposes of this year, you know, to find who that next team is. But it is a, it is a fascinating uh, part of this, if there is a, a log jam with a smaller or, or a regular, you know, but still smaller yeah. number of games without without the divisions there, you know, what will that look like? And I'm sure the SEC will announce some kind of formal way to decide this process. I know like the Big 12 mm-hmm. in the past has gone off of what the college football playoff rankings were, and that could get messy in a whole other kind of way. You could also look at strength of schedule. There's definitely some options on the table that, again, I'm sure they will address. Literally, we're just less than 24 hours about from this news um, being announced. But, but again, it, it certainly raises the questions of what problems could come from this. But, again, it's only a one-year deal. Uh, assuming ESPN is going to fork up the money for 2025, we'll move on to nine games and probably won't have to have this conversation again. Well, and, and I think, Tyler, that uh, your question about the the tiebreaker format and all that, I'm sure it will be announced during the television program, right? Of course, yeah. nowadays, yes. we, we have turned this into a TV program where the schedules will be released. My hope is, uh, you know, in the past, you know, some of these schedule reveal or bracket reveal shows, mm-hmm. they found a way to stretch it into like four hours, it oh, seems yeah. like. And, and I think after some of the backlash on some of those, like, all right, let's, let's, let's open the show, say hello, and put out our first part of the bracket because people do not like sitting around waiting forever. So hopefully that'll be more of a 30 minute or one hour program and not a, uh, not a three-hour special. Well, in this announcement, it's coming up on June the 14th, going to be broadcast on the SEC Network. They even said, we're not announcing dates for any of these games. We're literally just going to tell you who your eight opponents are for 2024. So the actual schedule itself won't come out for a while. You're just going to know who your opponents are yeah. on June the 14th. Yeah, they'll need a second and a, and a third television program for, for all those other things. But, but you know but what? I, hey, I, I get it. They, they, get know, it. they know when we're starving for college football content, and that's in the yeah. middle of June, and they're going to get a lot of people to watch this. Yeah, I, I sound like I'm complaining. I re- I'm really not, and I'm in the content business too, so I know, you know, we're going to, if something's happening, you're going to put out content, you're going to put out numerous pieces of it too. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated, and I know we'll get more into this, Tyler, but just, kind of the last thought here yep. in, in thinking going forward, transitioning to the nine game schedule, you know, it was kind of bandied about a while back about South Carolina's three permanents that they would have yes. in that type of scenario. If they indeed definitely, you know, went to that model and, um, you know, Florida, Kentucky, Tennessee were the three, you know, that, that I was hearing a lot about, which would be fascinating. But Ross Dellinger actually put out something, 
additional saying, you know, he kind of harked back to what Nick Saban said this spring mm-hmm. and that they were going to go based off of kind of the past 10 years data of, of winning percentages. And, and I had not realized this. I think Jay talked about this on the halftime show a while back. Tennessee and South Carolina exactly tied yep. over the past 10 years, 44.1%, I think it was. That, I found that fascinating, kind of had forgotten about that. So that'll be a really, really interesting subplot. That would, of course, mean that the annual game with Georgia, you know, South Carolina still play them. Sure. Just not as often. Right. So it'll be, be fascinating to see. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, and we're going to learn a lot more about the details of this. Again, we're going to have that announcement coming up on June the 14th for the eight, eight opponents are going to be, and that at some point later on down the road, we'll find out what those exact dates are. But at least for 2024, sticking with the eight-game conference model before hopefully going to the nine-game in 2025. Chris, before we let you go, as always, want to thank our friends over at Amy Mason Cup State Farm for their great support of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Yeah, if you're listening to this program or if you listen to 107.5 regularly, we appreciate you. And you're also probably a lot of that time driving, uh, whether you're riding in a car or you're driving in a car. You need to make sure you're thinking about your auto insurance. And there's a couple different ways that Amy Mason Cup State Farm can help you out with that. The first is think about switching and saving. Name brand insurance. Give Amy Mason Cup a call or visit her website. That's an even easier way. It's got all the information you'll need, phone number, address, all that good stuff where you can get a personalized quote on your auto insurance, amymasoncup.com. That's Amy, M-A-S-I-N-C-U-P-P.com, amymasoncup.com. You can also ask her office or team about the Drive Safe and Save app. It's got interactive maps, driving tips, and you can also earn up to 30% in savings after you already switch and save. So give her a call, visit her website, amymasoncup.com. Give her a call after you visit the website and get some more information for your personalized quote. Ask about the Drive Safe and Save app. Find out how you can switch and save. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It's Amy Mason Cup State Farm. All right, Chris, we'll let you go. Get back to work out there at the uh, Shane Beamer football camp, and you'll be off next week. We will see you uh, in a week's time then. All right, Tyler, appreciate you. Uh, Thank you for shepherding the rest of the show for us. Absolutely. No problem at all. Chris Clark out at the Shane Beamer football camp. Uh, up next, uh, talking about the Zane Game Conference schedule, who is South Carolina's most likely locked-in opponent for that one year on the eight-game model? Got some speculation from a couple of different reporters on who that might be. Talk about it next on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs on 107.5 The Game. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. And welcome back in to the Gamecocks Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs here on 107.5 The Game. Tyler Head. Along with you, Chris Clark out there, of course, uh, with the Shane Beamer football camp first camp of this month. Got quite a few going on. I uh, got some seven-on-sevens coming up at the end of the month as well. So we'll let, we let him uh, get back to work, and he'll be uh, back in a few days uh, with us here in the Herndon Chevrolet Studios. Of course, coming up later today, uh, this evening, I guess, is the uh, first game of the regional for South Carolina as they take on Central Connecticut State. Uh, first pitch for that game coming up at 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage with Tommy and Derek can be heard right here on 107.5 The Game starting at 6.45. We're just about an hour and a half away 
from uh, Campbell and NC State kicking things off uh, for the regional itself out there at Founders Park. First pitch coming up at 1 o'clock between the Camels and the Wolfpack. And, of course, the uh, winners of the uh, two games today, uh, you know, will uh, square off against each other tomorrow. So depending on what happens today, we'll dictate the schedule for tomorrow and the rest of the weekend. The objective, of course, is to win three games and get yourself out of the regional and on to a super. Uh, Looping back around to this conversation that Chris and I were having about the SEC scheduling model for 2024, staying at eight games uh, despite the addition of Texas and Oklahoma. And again, this all goes back to ESPN not being in a place right now to fork over any more money to the SEC, though I think eventually they will come around and we'll get to the nine-game conference schedule in 2025 and going forward. And as Chris talks about a little bit there, the, the idea, because one of the benefits of having the nine-game conference schedule with that 366 model is being able to preserve the secondary rivalries of the conference, of course. And when you think about secondary rivalries, you know, the, the primary ones are obvious, you know, Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, um, uh, would be Texas and Oklahoma once they join the conference. You know, those are the complete and obvious ones, right? Um, the, the secondary rivalries are a, a little more, uh, you know, not... The, the future of the secondary rivalries is something that's been in doubt for a, a long time. I know specifically from the Georgia standpoint, the Georgia-Auburn game has been rumored to come and go quite a bit over the years. Um, and the, the nine-game conference schedule would allow that to be locked in for every single year. Um, with the eight-game schedule, now again, we're a pretty much assuming, and I feel like the way this is going to be planned out with you know Commissioner Sankey and the rest of the conference, is I think everybody's assuming that nine games is coming in 2025. So you have the opportunity to, in a stopgap year, despite having one less conference game, still preserve those secondary rivalries and uh, just have them ready to continue permanently once you have the nine-game model here. So I would expect a team like Georgia to have Florida as its fixed opponent for the eight-game schedule in 2024 and then have the likes of Auburn uh, having the likes of Auburn also on their schedule to keep that rivalry going. Again, assuming we're going to go to nine games in 2025. Uh, You know, South Carolina is in an interesting place with all this because as far as like nationally known established rivalries within the conference, they don't necessarily have that. You know, I think everybody here considers Georgia to be a rival given the amount of times they played proximity and all that. But when you think about it, from a national standpoint, I don't think a lot of people look at Georgia and South Carolina as a super well-known rivalry. Of course, South Carolina's biggest rival being Clemson, being in an ACC school, it doesn't really factor into this. So based on the expected way the eight-game schedule will go, and I'm taking this from Peter Burns of ESPN tweeting out his thoughts of who the no-doubt permanent opponents would be in a uh, eight-game conference schedule. You know, again, Auburn, Alabama, Perfect sense. They're going to play each other in 2024. The Egg Bowl, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Again, Georgia, Florida. Those three obviously going to happen, no doubt about that. Likely opponents. Again, Texas and Oklahoma. That's most likely going to happen. LSU and A&M have had their rivalry um, you know, since A&M joined the conference. Arkansas and Missouri. Tennessee and Vandy. That all makes sense. And then for South Carolina, they paired them up with Kentucky. And Kentucky is another interesting school that kind of falls in the same space as South Carolina when we talk about all this, because from a national perspective, 
Kentucky doesn't really have established rivals within the conference. And I remember looking into this a couple of months ago that I guess technically they have an established rivalry with Vanderbilt. But if you would have asked anybody like, hey, do you think Kentucky and Vanderbilt are rivals in football at least? I don't think anybody would have told you that they thought that. And again, maybe between those two fan bases, they have something going on there. But from a more national perspective, South Carolina and Kentucky are both teams that don't really have that established number one rival within the Southeastern Conference. Of course, Kentucky plays their annual game um, with Louisville every single year, another school that's also in the ACC. So for those two teams, at least in that stopgap year of the eight-year of the eight-game schedule, those two teams, I guess, are we're assuming would be the fixed rivals with each other and would find each other on each other's uh, permanent schedule in the 366 model once 2025 and the years past. Um, you know, end up uh, coming around. So very interesting from that standpoint. And I would expect for South Carolina, most likely in the eight-game schedule in 2024, you're probably still going to see the likes of Georgia. You're probably going to see a team like Florida on that schedule. And again, we're, what, two weeks away now from officially finding out when the SEC has their big schedule reveal coming up on June the 14th. And Chris and I were talking about that a few minutes ago. You know, they know exactly how to hook us starving college football fans in the middle of June of all times to get to watch something that isn't an actual on-field product. It's literally just them saying, hey, here's who your eight opponents are going to be in 2024. You want to know the dates? Sorry, you got to wait a little bit longer for that. Um, but I guarantee you a lot of people watch, including myself, just to find out who the eight opponents for each school is and get a little bit of an idea of what that eight-game schedule is going to look like in 2024. Um, and I played the clip a little bit earlier, and I can play it again on uh, Greg Sankey, just kind of explaining why the uh, SEC thought to go with this model for 2024. It's a little bit of a long clip, and uh, as I explained a little bit earlier, it can kind of be summarized in a little bit more of a shorter version. But here's what Sankey had to say yesterday at the SEC meetings about why the eight-game schedule came to be. Eight-game schedule uh, for a 16-team conference for the 2024 season. You'll ask why. Well, one is, it is a year early. Uh, We did not... I think there was discomfort just walking away from 14 non-conference games at this state. A lot of change that's taking place as we grow to 16, also with the college football playoff. So additional opportunities for consideration there. Uh, We have uh, a set of contracts with our bowl partners. We're we're confident in being able to fulfill those and actually fill those more regularly with two additional teams. Our long-term options are fully open for 25 and beyond. I'll just identify that since we're going to that single standings or single division schedule, you can understand that will be a focus. Uh, We'll have continuing dialogue around the 18 or 19 schedule. Um, We have been engaged in planning since August of 21. It's been really an intentional and deliberate process. Uh, we've got some opportunities we know in front of us. We have to onboard um, in an effective way. One of the realities, at least for 24, with the amount of change we have, is what we're drafting will honor um, those important rivalries that we are accustomed to. There'll be some opportunities for new rivalries to be accommodated. Um, we will release our schedule on the SEC Network and a special primetime show on June 14th. Again, Commissioner Sankey yesterday explaining why they went to this eight-game schedule. And look, he's the commissioner of the conference. He's going to give you the political spiel of all of it and give you a lot of list of why they decided that this model was the best for at least 2024. But 
he could have summarized that in about eight seconds by saying, eh, ESPN wasn't ready to pay us. When they are ready to pay us, then we'll go to nine games because, again, that's what we all expect to happen. Uh, again, that schedule reveal coming up on June the 14th. So two weeks from now, uh, we will finally learn who the set opponents are uh, for the 2024 schedule for each of the SEC teams. Uh, up next is a wrap-up the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Take one last look at Central Connecticut State as South Carolina gets set to take them on tonight, coming up at 7 o'clock pregame coverage, starting at 6.45 here on 107.5 game for the first game of their regional. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. When you come into a Southeast Conference team or a Power Five, you know there's going to be a tremendous amount of depth and talent in that other dugout. Um, you know, we expect them to put pressure on us. Um, I know their depth in their bullpen usually is going to be something we're not familiar with. You know, our objective over the years is is to try to get through the starter and get to the other team's bullpen because in our conference, that's where everybody's more vulnerable. Um, don't think that will be the case this weekend, but we're going to obviously go out there and do what we do and, and try to play that way. And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Here at 107.5 The Game, Tyler, head along with you for a few more minutes. We're turning things over to Jay and Terry for the halftime show. That was the voice of Charles Hickey, who is the head coach of the Central Connecticut State Blue Devils, who the Gamecocks getting set to take on. Coming up tonight at 7 o'clock here on 107.5 The Game, pregame coverage starting at 6.45 with Tommy and Derek. And CCSU comes in here as the definite underdog, obviously the number four seed in the Columbia Regional. They had to win uh, against Wagner in the NEC tournament over the weekend to punch their ticket to get in to the NCAA tournament and be able to appear in this regional. So they're a team that's, I guarantee, is going to be throwing everything at the wall with the kitchen sink uh, you know, to, to do what they can to uh, you know, get out of this and, and get themselves to a super regional. It's a good, solid program, 25-5, uh, and five, I believe, in NEC conference play this year. But they definitely come in as that team that everybody's going to be looking at as the underdog, seeing how they can fare about the likes of a South Carolina team that spent a lot of time in the top 10 this season, a Campbell team that's maybe one of the best teams Campbell's ever had, and an NC State team that uh, Aaron Fitt from D1 Baseball, when he joined uh, Jay and Terry the other day, described them as a team that could potentially be an Ohio, St- or not an Ohio State, an Ole Miss uh, type team this year that does not have any hype and is pretty underwhelming coming in the NCAA tournament and then position themselves to go on a run uh, over these next couple of weeks. And we'll obviously see what happens again a little over an hour away from Campbell and NC State getting things started out at Founders Park. Uh, that game can be seen on the ACC network for South Carolina and uh, Central Connecticut State start thing or get things going tonight at 7 o'clock. I talked about this with Colin Erler who was out there at practice Yesterday, just kind of seeing how things are looking, a lot of optimism with uh, Cole Messina, who, of course, had the concussion last week in the SEC tournament in their uh, game. I guess that would have been against LSU, where he takes the ball to the face mask and couldn't even come to the park the next day uh, against Texas A&M because he was in such rough shape. But having eight days off certainly has benefited him. And uh, according to Colin, he was out there yesterday, had the catcher's helmet on, was out there moving around, looked really good. So you expect him to be uh, in the lineup no problem tonight. And he's been described as the heart and soul of this team. And obviously we saw the difference it made when he was out a little bit earlier on in the season, having to, or not out, having to play third base given all the injuries and they moved 
um, you know, uh, Jonathan French behind the plate. No disrespect to Jonathan French, who'd done a, a fine job as a catcher, but when Cole Messina got behind the plate, you definitely saw a difference in how the pitchers performed in that series. Now, again, pitching's been a little bit up and down as the season's gone along, but you want your best catcher, one of the best catchers in the entire country in Cole Messina, back behind the plate, uh, you know, when he's good and healthy, and that looks like that's going to be no issue tonight. We expect Braylon Wimmer should be back in the field tonight. He looked like he was feeling things in practice with no issue. We'll see Will McGillis. Um, if nothing else, maybe sliding into that DH role should Wimmer go back to playing shortstop. Um, but definitely expect to see some performance from Will McGillis tonight. Will he be in the field? Don't really know about that yet. The, the problems with that broken bone in his arm have come from, you know, when he's out there trying to field and trying to throw. Uh, according to Colin yesterday, Tippett and Braswell were taking some reps at second base. A big X factor for this game tonight against Central Connecticut State revolves around Roman Jimenez, who is the team's best hitter, their first baseman. Uh, 11 home runs on the season, 57 RBIs. Um, He is not going to be able to play tonight. And uh, Coach Hickey explained that the other day to Heath on um, his show uh, when he interviewed him that there was a situation that occurred in the NEC tournament where Jimenez, in that game against Wagner, hit a home run to pretty much clinch um, Central Connecticut State's berth in the NCAA tournament. And if you go back and watch the clip, I know Jay tweeted it out uh, yesterday when they were talking about it. He hits this home run. Again, a, a monumental, significant home run for the purposes of their season. And he's running down the first baseline, and he does hold on to his bat for, I don't know, 20, 30 feet. He was about halfway down the line before he ends up dropping it. He didn't sling it. He didn't throw it. He didn't stare any players down. He's watching his home run sail over the fence and then drops the bat, does his normal home run trot, and goes back to his own dugout. Well, as soon as he rounds first base, you can see the umpire, the line judge that was right down there at first, already walking up to the home plate umpire and discussing things. And within a few minutes, they had tossed him from the game. And because of that suspension, he is now not eligible to play tonight against South Carolina. As Colin told us earlier, he's not even allowed to be at Founders Park. He's literally got to watch this game from the hotel room, and he'll be ready to play against whoever they end up drawing tomorrow, depending on when, uh, if they win or lose, of course. And, and look, if you go back and watch it, it's ridiculous. You know, some of these umpires get too big for their britches and try and make it all about them. And that was a situation where, again, it's an emotional home run, a significant moment for the purposes of your team. And yeah, if he goes out there and does a cartwheel, a rounding third, or stares down the pitcher as he round, as he's rounding the bases, or, you know, makes a, sticks his tongue out at the third baseman, sure. That's a little bit more in the taunting category, but he was simply watching his home run and carried his bat a little bit too far. And, you know, fine. If you want to give him a warning and say, hey, don't do that next time. That's fine. But to sit somebody out, to suspend them from a very significant game for that team in taking on South Carolina tonight in the regional is utterly ridiculous. Now, this does play into the favor of South Carolina because, he, again, he is the team's best hitter, and he's not going to be out there tonight. So South Carolina hopefully can take advantage of that and advance through this first game in the regional with a victory. But but just from a fan standpoint, taking the South Carolina you know, position out of it, it's a shame that a really good player is not going to be allowed to play in a huge game like an NCAA regional because of this dumb suspension from that NEC umpiring crew from this past weekend. So we'll see what happens. Uh, again, all the numbers kind of lean in the favor of South Carolina. Uh, Colin was very optimistic about what he saw out of them yesterday as far as uh, you know their hitting practice was going. And again, it's practice. Take it a little bit with a grain of salt. We'll see what they do in game situations. But he said the, the swings were quick. The swings were short. 
Um, he expects them to hopefully get back on track with hitting for power like they've been able to do for so much of the season. Again, that game coming up tonight at 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage with Tommy and Derek starting at 645 right here on 107.5 The Game. That'll do it for today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Halftime show with Jay and Terry coming up next here on 107.5 The Game. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.